Welcome to the Language Games Podcast. My name is John Kaus. Today is part six of our Van Til's Apologetics series. We pick up where we left off last week in showing the specific aspects of Van Til's Apologetic as described in Van Til's and Bonson's writings. So the third aspect is that the argument is sufficient for rational or epistemic certainty. So Van Til was not into probability arguments. He wanted arguments that would be certain. He says, it is an insult to the living God to say that his revelation of himself so lacks in clarity that man himself through and through a revelation of God does justice by it when he says that God probably exists. He says, but the best and only possible proof for the existence of such a God is that his existence is required for the uniformity of nature and for the coherence of all things in the world. Well, of course, to express an argument, right, to reason, you have to have coherence. And so if God's existence and the truth or the truth of Christianity is required for the coherence of all things, then it is certain. Bonson says that Van Til aims for rational certainty, while his critics settle for far less, namely probability. So if you're creating a Van Tilian argument and it's probable, the structure of the argument is one of probability, then it's not Van Tilian, period. The question though becomes, what makes an argument epistemically certain? And there's some division on this in, in philosophy, but I'm gonna propose three components to this, what makes an argument epistemically certain. The first is that the form is deductive. The argument's form is deductive. So for example, if the Bible is true, then Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Bible is true, therefore Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so in a deductive argument, the conclusion follows logically from the premises. And so if the premises are true, the conclusion has to be true. And so if one and two are true, then the conclusion follows. Now it doesn't tell us though that the premises are true. Okay, so then it doesn't tell us then that the conclusion actually is true. It just tells us that the conclusion follows logically from the premises. We could have an argument that says, if the Bible is false, then Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. The Bible is false, therefore Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. This is a logical argument. It is, it is a good deductive argument. Of course, it's not a, it's not a good argument, it's a good deductive argument. The, the structure, the form is true, but, not the, but the actual premises are not all true. Premise two is false. The Bible is false, is false. The Bible is true. And so this is now what we'd call a sound argument, but it is, it is uh, deductively valid. All right, so the argument has to be deductively valid. The second component of an epistemically certain argument is that the falsehood of any axiom or any assumption in the argument leads to absurdity. So if you, it's not just that you can't deny the assumption because of some problem with you or your community. It's that to have rationality, to make sense of the world, to use language, uh, you cannot deny this axiom, this assumption. If you were to deny this assumption, the game of giving denials does not work. It gets pulled down. We talked about that in our Wittgenstein series previously, and we'll talk more about this as we, as we go on. So the falsehood of any assumption in the argument or axiom leads to absurdity. The third one is that the definitions are natural to their environment. If you ask, you know, what do these terms mean, the ones that, let's say, you're confused on, and I give you definitions, and the definitions are natural in the environment in which they occur, so out in the wild, 
this is how people use these terms in general, then that's, that's fine. Uh, we're not using, of course, if you're using some obscure definition though, that would undermine the argument. And we can get, we could get into that in more detail, but I'll just leave it there, leave it there for now. All right, so those, these three components have to be met to make an, to, to have, for an argument to be epistemically certain. All right, the fourth component is that the axioms or assumptions in the argument are knowable prior to acknowledging the conclusion. Van Til writes, it should be clear from the context here that Van Til meant to claim more than that the, that the argument is valid. Uh, so this is where you know, the conclusion follows necessarily from the premises as we just talked about. So he says that uh, he also wants it to be sound, okay, where the premises are actually true. He says, moreover, the truth of, of its premises is acknowledged or knowable without prior acknowledgement or statement of the conclusion in the formulations. The kind of strong argument intended by Van Til represents a genuine cognitive advance because things which the unbeliever will acknowledge turn out without him realizing it upon analysis to require or imply the truth of the Christian worldview. Okay, so these, these assumptions that we use should be ones where if you just grabbed one of them and you talked through it with an unbeliever, he would acknowledge its truth. He'd find no problem with it. And that that's true for our argument, I think in most of them except for, except for one, which, which, which we'll get into. But it's really unavoidable, and it's actually one of my favorite, one of the axioms uh, to put forth. But for the most part, you know, these are ones that the unbeliever is going to acknowledge, but he doesn't realize that they actually lead to then the truth of Christianity. All right, and the last component is that we may not assume the truth of the conclusion in the argument or as an axiom. Van Til says, and this brings up the point of circular reasoning. The charge is constantly made that if matters stand thus with Christianity, it has written its own death warrant as far as intelligent men are concerned. Who wishes to make such a simple blunder in elementary logic as to say that we believe something to be true because it is in the Bible? Our answer to this uh, briefly that we prefer to reason in a circle, not to reasoning at all. We hold it to be true that circular reasoning is the only reasoning that is possible to finite man. Now, it looks like Van Til here is affirming vicious circular reasoning, uh, where you just say the Bible is true because the Bible is true. So you're assuming the conclusion as a premise or assumption in the argument. That's not what he's saying here. I think he's, uh, I think he's being a little, a little playful with his language, more to jab the unbeliever who brings him this charge. Uh, but he does clarify this within the same paragraph. He, said, he goes on and says, the method of implication as outlined above is circular reasoning, or we may call it spiral reasoning. So he's making a distinction here. Spiral, re spiral reasoning. We must go round and round a thing to see more of its dimensions and to know more about it in general, unless we are larger than that which we are investigating. Unless we are larger than God, we cannot reason about him any other way than by a transcendental or circular argument. And by this, he means spirally circular. The refusal to admit the necessity of circular reasoning is itself an evident token of, of opposition to Christianity. So he's not denying that his argument is circular. He is making a distinction, though. It is not viciously circular. It is not viciously circular. It is spirally circular. So Van Til would say there are two types of circular arguments, and his argument is one of them, the non-fallacious kind. And he clarifies this again and says, reasoning in a vicious circle is the only alternative to reasoning in a circle as discussed above. 
This is actually a pretty pivotal insight that we're going to get into later on in this series. So he is saying that if you deny Christianity, you have to be vicious, vicious, viciously circular. But if you uh, affirm Christianity, then you're not viciously circular. You're the circularity as stated above. I think this is fairly straightforward to get through. I, I can see how it could, be, it could be confusing if you didn't work through it uh, carefully, but it is there. Okay, The distinction is there to, to see. Van Til also writes, yet we hold that our reasoning cannot fairly be called circular reasoning. Now, this would be in the vicious sense, because we are not reasoning about and seeking to explain facts by assuming the existence and meaning of certain other facts on the same level of being with the facts we are investigating, and then explaining these facts in turn by the facts with which we began. So again, he's just saying that we're not doing vicious circular reasoning. Would it be better if Van Til would have just used vicious and then you spiral and clearly, you know, contrasted them. Yes, it would, but he didn't. So, but I think you can get that from, from reading his, his writings. Bonson brings this out. He says, because there is more than one kind of circularity, Van Til sometimes repudiated and sometimes tolerated the notion that his apologetic was circular, which, was undoubtedly, which has undoubtedly been confusing to his readers and students. The circularity of a transcendental argument is not at all the same as the fallacious circularity of an argument in which the conclusion is a restatement in one form or another of its premises or one of its premises. Rather, it is, this, it is the circularity, circularity required when one reasons about a precondition for reasoning. Indeed, it is the case, as many will, uh, will be quick to point out, that this presuppositional method of apologetics, or just Van Til's apologetic, assumes the truth of Scripture in order to argue for the truth of Scripture. Such is unavoidable when ultimate truths are being debated. However, such is not damaging, for it is not a flat circle in which one reasons. So this would be, the Bible is true because the Bible is true. Uh, just a quick note here, when we talk about the presuppositional method or the transcendental argument or Van Til's apologetic, these are all the same argument. Okay, it's the same, same content, same form. It's, we're just using different... Uh, labels for them. And you see that in Van Til's writings from 1932 all the way to, to 1970s. Van Til would use different terms to talk about his argument, but it's the same argument. Van Til's argument, the transcendental argument, the presuppositional method, is there from the start all the way to the end. He never wavers on that, ever. All right, so these are the five components. Now, they're, they're difficult points to, it's one thing to, to say, here are the five components. Another thing to actually lay it out plainly. I mean, what is this argument plainly? So here are the components, which we had to go find. It wasn't just given to us, you know, in, in a list somewhere. We had to go find this and bring it together. But then how do you execute it? Van Til and Bonson mention doing it, and then Bonson, you know, actually did this, some of this in, in, in debating. But nowhere is it actually laid out plainly. Like, here are our assumptions, here are the inferences to certain theorems, which then lead to the truth of Christianity. Here are definitions of the key terms and so forth. He doesn't, they don't do that. And so the goal of this series is to do that, is to make this plain, make this easy to see where, where, how, where we started and then how we got to the conclusion. And when we do this, there are two points that are by far the most difficult. The first is, okay, so we start with the Bible, but yet we don't, we start with it, but we don't start with it as an assumption in the argument. Well, how do we, how does that work? How do you start with the Bible, 
but you can't assume its truth as an assumption in the argument to then get to Christianity. How does spiral circular reasoning actually work? This is, this is fairly difficult uh, to, to perform and to see what to do here. But we're going we're gonna to tackle that. Uh, the second point is once you figure that out, how do you defend your starting assumptions? Because you don't prove them. That's their assumptions. Assumptions are not proven. Axioms are not proven. So how do you defend them in the argument? And we're going to talk about that as well. All right, that's it for this episode. Next week, we'll begin Van Til's Proof. For more content like this, you can find us on X at underscore language games. See you next time.